Hello, everybody. We are back here with Beyond Sunday with both Spencer and with Christian. And as we've said before... And you're Todd. And I'm Todd. <clears throat> I am Todd. And I think for, for all, all of us... are members of Cornerstone. <laughs> being a part of this church as, um, as truly being guys that have loved each other, we think one of the best ways to take incredible the incredible truths of God's Word and to land it in our lives... Is in a local church, and it's also within these these relationships that God's given us. And so, all of us have been in friendship together for I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even know how long we've been friends together. But just the joy of it, and I think the longevity of it has allowed these things to to land well. And so, we've been in the book of First Thessalonians, and um, Christian just a few weeks ago presented this idea of boldness out of First Thessalonians. Two, two, that I think in some ways most people, if we're fair with each other, they weren't ready for you to connect boldness to this idea of a nursing mom and a dad trying to be a really good dad. And that, I think, really did kind of create tension in a lot of the discussions I was having, like, hey, whoa, whoa, time out. But I think just the, that beautiful connectedness to that passage of Paul talking about being a nursing mom, of being this dad that was wanting to help nurture and train these 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 kiddos in, in the faith, I thought it was pretty powerful <clears throat> the way you laid that out. Thanks, man. I mean, it was created tension for me too, man. It's like, <laughs> gosh. Usually, we we do think of boldness as the it's the strength of my position. It's I I feel like I'm I am the king of the hill on this one, or I want to be king of the yeah. hill, and it's the eye of the tiger kind of boldness of I'm going to do whatever it takes to win versus the no, I'm actually going to. I'm going to put myself in a vulnerable position yeah. in order to bless others. Yeah. And being a, a mom and a dad, like he talks about, it's not like a glory position. Yeah. Right. It is, it is so different in how we're going to nurture and, and love and care for and yeah, be out of that power position in a lot of way. And then yeah. the week after we tried to just lay out a definition of, of boldness, we connected this idea of hope being mm -hmm. a big thing and especially hope as we've defined hope as the, the true faithfulness of God. Like we are banking on God's ongoing, continued, demonstrated faithfulness, but that belief that that His good is better than any good that we can ever create. So it's not just that hope, though, but it's a hope that creates confidence. But it's almost like in a beautiful way, the way God takes and He fuels it with His hope, but like He does in 2 Corinthians 12 with Paul, to keep Him from becoming conceited. Oh, by the way, I've given you this thorn in the flesh as a means of making sure that, man, that, that courage is always is a reminder of our desperate need of God. We were mm -hmm. created to be dependent upon God. Yeah, that my power is made perfect in weakness. <clears throat> Which is so weird. Like it's it's so upside down because we yeah. tend to think power is created through gaining power. <laughs> and here comes Paul and says, no, and he talks about my grace being sufficient for you. It is that, no, that, that your power might not rest in you, but in Christ. Yeah. Well, that's where I think, I mean, I know you were talking about... Um, Christian using that illustration of uh, a nursing mom and a, and a dad, you know, and kind of the, the, Paul the parental Christian yeah. reference Paul's <laughs> use go. of that. There you go. <laughs> um, but Christian would have done, you know, Christian as, right. as, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it wasn't just the image of parents, right? It wasn't just a mom and dad, but it was also because right before he talks about moms and dads, that in two, two, that proclamation of like the bold, proclamation of the gospel. And then he goes on to talk about, hey, I didn't, I didn't leverage or I didn't speak to you or I didn't come in and and care for you guys expecting money, even though I had the rights to do that. Yeah. But I actually worked. 
And so it's this idea of going, like, the boldness that gets exemplified is this idea of actually laying aside things that you're entitled to, laying aside power or authority for the sake of others, which I think that's where kind of we're going this week, though. Big, um, big time. Because in, when Paul's at a low point where he actually is feeling isolated, lonely, what does he do? Which is, again, a laying aside of what you would expect in his loneliness. I mean, well, you're walking through yeah, it. Yeah, well, and I think that's just that beautiful display of Christ, right? Yeah. I mean, everything you just talked about is what Christ came and modeled. Yeah. And so it's no wonder Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow me as I follow Christ, his whole life was about being a true example of model. I think that's why he talked about, like in Colossians 1.24, this idea of filling up the sufferings of Christ. Mm-hmm. I want people to see Jesus. And I think, like, especially when he talks to them, not only that he would display Jesus, but he was beckoning them to come follow him so that Jesus might be seen through them. Mm-hmm. And he connects their own suffering that, hey, this is part of our family. This is just, this is how we engage it. But I, I agree this week, man, what hit me so much when I was studying this was the way that that was so contrary. Like I, first I didn't see it. I didn't see this idea of him and Timothy and what an incredibly bold thing it was when he needed Timothy, right? His true son in the faith mm-hmm. his this guy that he says in Philippians one, there is, there's no one like him. Mm-hmm. And then he, it's Philippians two. And then he, he says to him, but man, it's, I'm going to send you that to them because mm-hmm. they desperately need you. But the thing I also didn't notice was in Acts 17.10, when it was this idea when they desperately needed Paul, they looked at Paul and said, no, Paul, you need to go. Mm-hmm. They also loved in that kind of a way. And I think like it's that thing where we don't see boldness that way, but both the act of Paul towards them and then them towards Paul. How bold was that? And I think for me, why this is so important of a topic how desperately the church needs this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the boldness that's being uh, like modeled isn't self-preservation or self-entitlement. It's quite the opposite. Oh, and it's, it's, a, it's an emptying of self. It's a denying of self. Yeah. And I think that's where the, the family language that you laid out, Christian, mm-hmm. was so important. It has such a feel of a family that... It is so much for the good of the other, right? Yeah. Like it, it, that kind of a mentality to it is so important to this context. So that's why we, where we're going to go today. I'm excited about it. I think this is like a huge, this idea of boldness, which is why we wanted to in some ways teach through through First Thessalonians together. And so we're going to start to unpack the text a little bit, see if we can, can't maybe land some of these things a little bit later. So Todd, you walked us through kind of this last part of Paul's recap. You know, he spends the first three chapters of the book just recapping their history and even their time apart. Would you just walk us through like the main points of this section of what you covered on Sunday? Yeah, well, I think what Paul does with this in recounting is he's wanting to make sure, right? Like we we can't forget he had been, he uses this word torn. They they were torn away from each other, right? So imagine, and this is where I think the humanness of Paul comes out in this text in such a cool way where he's like, he, he knew his own heartache and struggle, but he was also writing to a group of people that probably were in, they, well, we know they were in the midst of their own heartache and struggle. Does he, do they feel like he's, you know, abandoned them? Um, he's even wondering, was this thing all in vain, right? He, he's, he's wrestling through these different issues, but he's talking about this, this love that was between them as the means of beginning to build out this, this boldness. And so he, 
he laid his heart out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the things also that for me, I forget, right? Paul was not a robot. He was, he was a man that had his own struggles. And so even as he was talking to them, like probably the most powerful thing that he started to say was wondering this idea of being in vain. It was like a, a mom and a dad that are waiting for a child. And he was just hoping that this wasn't a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he wanted to know. And then, right, so he sends Timothy to find out, you know, is this baby alive? And the greatest news in the world is when Timothy comes back and says, Paul, they're not only alive, they they are living radically. They're living and following King Jesus as they're supposed to. And so I think on one end, he's wrestling that way. But I think the, the more, the crucial point that we went after this week was in laying out boldness, he talked about his own boldness, is mm-hmm. that... I really do believe as he moves through and as he weaves his argument together, everything that he did was a, from a position of love. He, he, he came to them in love. He was engaged with them in and around love. But even the reason that when, when he went to Athens and longed to have Timothy come to him and Timothy finally comes to him, he knew he had to send Timothy back to them. And that's where that kind of that third kind of rail that we're talking about with that stool that comes out is that that idea of that sacrificial love is so important to to what we're doing. And so for Paul, man, what a bold thing it was for him to send. send Um, For people who missed it, maybe. um, What, what, what's the three legs of the stool you're talking about? Yeah. So the three legs of the stool just come out of the definition of of hope and yeah thanks for for asking that is or for um boldness the first mm-hmm. one is hope that idea that's connected to the faithfulness of god and the belief that the that there's a there's a good of god that's better than any good i can ever imagine the idea of weakness is the second leg that comes into that but then that third leg really is that that true jesus type sacrificial love mm-hmm. the the giving to others at great cost to myself and it, when you put those three together, it's a powerful testimony to boldness. But one of the things I also try to lay out is you remove one of those legs and it it falls flat. Yeah. Right? It, the, the moment you remove hope or you remove weakness or you remove this sacrificial love, the stool can't stand. Biblical <laughs> boldness can't stand without that, right? What's you, that? Bib, the biblical idea of boldness can't stand right. without those three legs. You, you can take any one of those out and operate in more like worldly boldness. Yeah. I can pull love out of that. And just because I think I'm better than you, I can I can assert myself in that. I can pull weakness out of it and just feel like I have to weave through in strength. But gosh, I just I think this is that place where apart from the resurrection, this stool does just fall over. Mm-hmm. The idea that hope and love and weakness come together to bring true strength to bear is only possible because of Easter Sunday. Yeah. Only because that's what shows us the victory, the true victory over the power of this world. If I could even push it a little further back, actually, um, the crucifixion. Right. Because it requires us to die to ourselves. Yeah. You yeah. know, just, I mean, the, the resurrection is true, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's 100%. But going, man, so much of this, in order to live this way with this kind of boldness, it requires so much death of our own desire, yeah. death of our own. I mean, it, it really is modeling the life of Jesus and laying down our life. Yeah. And, but I think what so takes that spirit empowered new life, right? Totally. What takes the story of Jesus from just an exemplary character who dies a wrongful death 
to a true story of victory is the fact that, yes, that laying down of his life was so that he might take it back mm-hmm. up again. It was that Philippians 2, the obedience to the point of death on the cross, and then God exalted him. Yep. That, that, that bedrock of hope right. that he talked about, this idea of this Jesus, the son who he raised from the dead. You take that out, there, there is no ultimate victory. There may be like uh, exemplary, you could look at it and go, wow, that's, that's an honorable person. They died honorably. They're good to be remembered, but there's no victory apart from resurrection. Yeah, I th- I, that that I think is the pinnacle, hmm. right? And it's there's an old dead dude named Irenaeus who was around in the second late second century that for him he saw all the life of Jesus as this bold, beautiful testimony to the goodness of God. And yeah, but yeah, the the, the pinnacle moment in the in the work and life of Christ was when he was ripped from the grave and declared to be who he was, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but I think like all of all of life of Christ is yeah. this beautiful model of the intent of God and how we're called to live in the time in which we live. Yeah. But without the resurrection of Jesus, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, right? <laughs> like who cares? Like now we're just a bunch of people that we're the greatest fools on the planet. Yeah. But because he did raise from the dead, because he did model out of the, out of the his death the true means of what, or the true reality of what it means to to live sacrificial love, the way he loved while he was on earth. Oh my gosh, like we can bank our lives on that. And I think then it, it, it what it does is it takes away that, that arrogant boldness mm-hmm. that I think is the world boldness, mm-hmm. right? I was, I was just reading the gospels and, and, you know, here's Jesus before Herod and Pilate. And it's so different, right? Like, I mean, he, he was bold with him, mm-hmm. but he wasn't like frantic. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't bombastic. Mm-hmm. He didn't wield power. <laughs> no, he, in fact, he was pretty honest with him. I'm not going to pull levers of power, but I could. Yeah. I could totally pull levers of power right now if you want me to. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But no, that's not the plan. That's not the purpose. That's not the intent mm-hmm. for which I came to, to earth. And that's where for me, when I'm looking at this, the church, that type of boldness we need. And I think this is what Paul was trying to do both in 1 Thessalonians, but I think you see it again in 2 Corinthians, mm-hmm. is that we, we're different. We're, we're not like the world. We don't need to be the, the flamboyant, crazy you know, philosophers that come into town and try to gain a following. Um, we don't need to be these people that try to pull levers of power. We don't need—I mean, there's all those different things. Yeah. If Jesus Christ really did raise from the dead, which he did— and he is truly right now ascended to the right hand of the Father as the one who has authority over all of heaven and earth. Why in the world are we trying to, to in any way embrace the way the world structures carry out power? We can forego that because all authority is Jesus's. Yeah. We just now need to actually embrace it and live in it, not to try to grab the way that the world operates out of power. Yeah. And that's where I think you have to have that mentality if you're going to understand this text, starting where you did in chapter two and all the way to the end of chapter three. If your power structure system and the way that you carry out things and your boldness does not fit the boldness of Jesus, this is going to make zero sense to you. And even if, like, even if Jesus, I mean, if Jesus is that end goal, it helps you deal with how much this continues to not make sense. As you're operating this way, you're going, sure, this is the best way, man, it'd be real. I see that person over there. It looks like they're getting ahead by shouting and kicking up dust and all that kind of stuff. But if I see the risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ at the end of this path, 
okay, this is still not going to feel natural. I'm still going to fight against all my natural inclinations to self-preservation. But go, there's a risen savior on the other end of this who says, it's okay, come this way. This is the way. I think that's what just, it, but I, th I think what I'm grappling with in this whole section is just, if I expect this at some time to feel natural, I think I'm setting myself up for, for failure. Yeah, but if or instead disappointment at least, yeah, right? or, or judgment, I, I'm happy to judge others too. <laughs> right, it's so true. But just that embracing sense of, okay, Jesus, I'm going to need to continually be guided by you. I'm going to need to sit in that yeah. Garden of Gethsemane, sort of not my will, but your will be done, because that's what even Jesus modeled. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I think there's a there's another part. It's echoes of what we talked about. I don't know, maybe a couple months ago of of that Romans 12 reality mm -hmm. of going it's so easy to conform to the pattern of the world. In Romans, certainly he's talking about how we view the Jew-Gentile issue, yep. yeah. but so much more than that. It's just so easy to conform to the worldly way of thinking and forgetting that there is this new covenant spirit-empowered way of thinking. And so now all of a sudden, when I think about boldness, it is easy to conform to the pattern of the world mm -hmm. around me. It's that's that's what's natural and normative to your point, you know, Christian. But but Jesus has called me to something other. Yeah. Okay, so now now just like Romans 12, I've got to I've got to lay my offer myself up, you know, sacrifice myself, be transformed, you know, and no longer be conformed to the pattern of the world, but that's that is hard. Yeah, but it requires the mind we talked about. No, exactly. I mean, you have right? to have that the, mind yeah. that truly, because Christian, what you laid out, mm. to have that mind, that yeah. is mm. not our natural oh, gosh, mind no. as a non-follower of Jesus. And so now, again, you're not going to understand what Paul was writing about in First Thessalonians unless you have his mind. Yeah. Like it has to have those things together. And that's why I think this has been so crucial to where we've been going is that in order to embrace the the kind of the cruciform kind of bent of mm -hmm. what it means to follow Jesus right into that mm -hmm. death is that I've got to have that mind that says no this it's a, what is it the the Mandalorian this is the way this is the way right <laughs> right yeah. and it's <clears throat> it truly is it's and I think this again Paul was not trying to do a pump up session he was just saying this is the way yeah this is this is what it means to follow King Jesus but at the outcome of it which I'm so thankful he's going to get to later on in the you know in the return of Jesus and what happens to us after we die yes it's the way because it is worth it because Jesus Christ was dead and he was buried and he rose again mm. yeah there's the return of the king the king mm. man lord of the rings <laughs> we got it all going yeah, here can man. we get another one in here somewhere there we go yeah <laughs> I just think like uh, it's in this passage that we'll get into this next Sunday where Paul then jumps into these ideas of holiness in our sexuality, but he makes a st statement about there should be a contrast between those who know the Lord and the Gentiles who do not know God, the, yeah. the unbelievers who do not know God. And that's the orienting principle in all of this is yeah. that sense of the God who beckons you on this totally counterintuitive pathway. Do you know him? Yeah. Like, is there that sense of, I may not understand how all the math of this works out, but I know and I trust the ones who, who's beckoning me in this direction. And I want him to guide me. It's the John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That Psalm 23, even if it's in the valley of the shadow of death, the sheep may have no idea, shepherd, why are you taking us here? But there you are. You're with me, your rod and your staff. Okay, I'll go with you there. 
I just think, gosh, man, that embracing the the orienting principle of do I trust him? Yeah. Which will be interesting, right, when you start talking about like just our sexual brokenness is that I think a majority of the way in which sex is portrayed in the United States is sex from power structures where I get mine. Mm. And suddenly Paul comes in in 1 Corinthians 7 or these different places and says, no, it's actually about the other person. Yeah. Right. It's, again, it's just it's this flipping of the of the way in which we view things. It's echoes of <clears throat> echoes of Genesis eleven in there of going, man, yeah, or, or, or the way we think about our, you know sex or sexuality or so many other things too. Mm-hmm. Going, yeah, we just want to make a name for ourselves. Yeah. We just want to get ours. And uh, and the yeah. ultimate of that right is where men use strength as a means of dominating yep. women wrongly, where women have you know learned to use other means and mechanisms to manipulate and do different things to men, right? We, we go to power structures to get what we want, even within sexuality. Mm-hmm. But yet Paul calls us to something so much more. The sexuality is not intended to be used in that manner or fashion. Yeah, that's, that's next week, though. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I'm just, this is why this is so yep. stinking important. No, sure. It's every facet of life, mm-hmm. my parenting, my money, my way in which I operate within the world, in my business, in my workplace – we have to have that different mindset to see from a position of hope, a position of weakness, but as from that position of truly loving mm-hmm. each other. So, okay, we've, we've we've laid some of it out. So let's let's take some time here and let's let's just figure out as kind of three guys how would we how would we land this then into like into the real life in which we exist in in Simi Valley, California. All right, so trying to trying to address the issues of like. Why is this? Where's the complexities in this? If we see the if we see the sense that that what Paul's calling us to in in First Thessalonians chapter two is is he was acknowledging the bold proclamation, and then he goes on to illustrate that through really just examples of laying down self. And Christian, you just you just referenced a couple of passages where it's clear biblical references, or we're we're being referred to as sheep. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest, as, as I kind of think through the, some of the complexities, you're laughing over there because you know what's coming. <laughs> okay. So I drive around in CB Valley and I see these stickers and signs that say, you know, lions, not sheep. How does that play into this passage of boldness, whatnot? I just love to throw this out there to you guys and not be the one that has to say anything. <laughs> well, I think not only do did you reference the passages? I think Romans 12 is very much a sheep passage too, right? right? Oh, like weird. that idea. Like, to, yeah. Like sacrifice is like at the key, it's yeah. the key cog of like the mind that we need. So don't throw him under the bus. No. <laughs> like, I'm just no, teeing it. up the conversation and then trying to back away as quickly as Good. possible. You don't get to back away. We're going to let you. Yeah. So I mean, I'll start us off on it. Like it goes back to everything we've talked about is we generally prefer imagery of power to describe ourselves with. And we rarely want to grab imagery of weakness to mm-hmm. describe ourselves. Right. So we tend to hide weaknesses no matter what, what we are as people, whether it's through makeup or the clothes we wear mm-hmm. or the way in which we do friendships, we generally tend to hide anything that characterizes us as weak or incomplete or, you know, just any of those concepts. And we tend to then highlight in how we do things our strengths. That's our, that's our natural bent. But yet now we come into something like sheep 
And I understand why people want to be known as lions and not sheep. There's a natural inclination to want that unless you're talking from the perspective of how God views the world, how Jesus modeled things, and how we're then called to live in the world in which we exist. We need a shepherd. Yes. We we are desperate for a shepherd. We are, to your point, you were talking back in Genesis 11, right? But it's it's all through the Bible. We make a name for ourselves by thinking that we don't need a shepherd. But the whole Bible is a story of our desperate need of not only a shepherd, but to Jesus' point, like you brought up earlier, the good shepherd. Yeah. And so I think like for me personally, I've grown up, I've been raised, I have developed in such a way where I do not like imagery of weakness. Mm -hmm. I hate it. And especially at a time right now where we feel weak as the church, we feel society growing more and more kind of predominant as as moving away from the church. Mm -hmm. I totally get why people are wanting to grab the imagery of a lion, but the problem is that's not Recall. So I'll, I'll, I'll turn over to you. That's, that's my struggle. I know I don't like that title. I hate mm-hmm. being called weak. Well, I think the, the pejorative or like the put down side of calling someone a, a sheep or calling a group of people sheep is that they just do what they're told. They just don't question who is making the rules and whatnot. And they just go along with it and <coughs> just walk right off the cliff if you tell them to. And it's that sort of like uncritical acceptance and just like naive trust. I get that. And we are not called to that in scripture. We are not called to an uncritical acceptance and naive trust of every voice. But the, one. But one, exactly. And I think that's the, that's the the thing. The, the bigger question is not, am I willing to be, accept that I'm a sheep? It's who's who's my shepherd? Who am I willing to follow? And right there in John 10, what, G, what Jesus says is, look, the hired, like the thief, they won't follow. They, they know that that's not the voice they would listen to. And throughout scripture, like you said, the, the, the problem isn't whether or not we see ourselves as sheep. There's actually a bigger problem in seeing yourself as a lion who gets to call the shots and direct where everything goes. Like, do you not hear, like right now, if you're listening to this and you've prided yourself, you've worn the hat or put the decal on your truck, uh, you might and probably Why don't you assume it was a truck. Yeah, I know. Truck. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Why not a yeah, Prius? Yeah. I know. I was just gonna say probably not a Prius. Yeah. No, but like if you if you do that, like like think about this. Like, do you not hear the echo of the serpent's voice and saying, "No, you get to call the shots for yourself." Yeah. You no, can I, be like God. You can like you can determine what's good and evil in the direction for you and your family on your own. And, and I, I guess just to see, there's there's two sides of that cliff to fall off on. One is following the wrong shepherds, listening uncritically to the wrong voices. And the other is being an authority unto yourself. And both of those are part of the fabric of what's broken in us as humans, not what's right. Yeah, I think we're getting... And we're touching on some good stuff here. And, I, and maybe I'll take a different approach with it of going, it's... It's easy for me to sit in a seat of judgment when I see the lions, not sheep, T-shirts yeah. or whatnot. And I see a lot of them, by the way. Just those, <laughs> those, in a sad sense, those are my people. You know, those are the, those are the guys I'm interacting with and, and whatnot. And and it's easy for me to sit in a seat of judgment and go, "Oh, I would never." Mm. But then I start thinking about it, and I go, "Oh, but I do." Mm. I may not, I may not wear the shirt. I may not. But to Todd, your point. 
I, I don't like being in a position of weakness. I don't like to, to remember that I am called to be crucified with Christ. Mm. Like, oh yeah, I need to lay aside, going back to that definition of boldness, I do need to embody weakness. Mm -hmm. I need to have this hope in Christ and I need to have this sacrificial love that's laying down my rights and privileges and power for the sake of others. I don't like that. And so while I may sit in a seat of judgment on whatever decals or banners are flying in my heart, I do very similar things mm -hmm. yeah, because I don't, I don't, I don't like to, deny myself right totally. yeah, i don't i don't so true. i like in other words i think where you're getting at is so good i don't have a decal that says that right in in and in some ways there's there's reasons why you're gonna have a shirt pretty soon though. <laughs> gonna, I, I can't wait to get it um, but my decal might say something else as far as my longing and desire to to work from a position of authority and power yeah dude. right whatever my decal might be which probably you know you guys know better than i do my wife probably knows better than i do that i just know my predisposition in my heart to ascribe power to myself mm. and hide weakness yeah and i think what's so fascinating about how paul came to thessalonica and how he went to corinth and philippi and you know fill in the blank where he went the constant rhythm seems to be he didn't he could have he could have worked from a position of power right i could have been i could have claimed my apostleship i could have shown you how smart i was as a as a former pharisee i could have done all kinds of things but he said i chose to bring the gospel to bear from a position of weakness so that you're the that so that the gospel that power might not rest in me but mm -hmm. might rest in christ and I think like that is, again, that's not my predisposition. And to your point, getting into like authority, it's not my predisposition because I want to be the authority. Yeah. I don't want the true lion to be the lion, right? Yeah. The lion of Judah that when they look at him, they see the lamb. But there's just that side of it where it's the tension I see every day in my life. Mm -hmm, totally. I see it in my parenting. I see it in my marriage. I see it in my friendships. Uh, I see it in my meetings I go to. Yeah. And it, it's, I think it's just, when you see that decal, it's just, a, I think it's the testimony to all of us of our predisposition to not want positions of yeah. weakness. Right. I think it's like, it's funny. I, I, I think what you just said right there illustrates for me, one of the, thing, the main things we see in the early part of Israel's history. You read the book of Exodus and you see how wrong, evil it was for them to be under the crushing rule of Pharaoh. And God redeems them through mighty acts of judgment and brings them out and brings them into the promised land. And once they get in the promised land, you have the book of Judges where there's no king in Israel and everyone does right with in it, what, what is right in his own eyes. And you basically put the two of those and you go, they're equally wrong. They're equally out of sorts to be under oppressive, cruel rulers mm. or to be my own ruler. Both are enslaving and ultimately dehumanizing to us. Mm. But that sense of what do, people, what do the people of Israel need at that point? You see, they need a king. They need a good king that's ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He is the king we're meant to follow. But the way that he calls us to follow him, gosh, it's counterintuitive. Right, which I, I think coming back to the passage that we're in, um, in 1 Thessalonians 3, um, this embodiment of boldness is Paul at a real low point 
there's a self-denial that I think it, it is this idea of remembering weakness, but it's also a at a very low point in life, probably wanting and even stating he wanted relationship with Timothy, but he denies himself what he knows would be of great value to him for the sake of others. And I think, I think just coming back to this of going not only from a posture of weakness, but also a posture of like, are we willing to deny ourselves things that we want or long for, for the sake of others? Yeah. And I think that's just in addition to understanding, you know, a, the reality of like our lives being crucified with Christ going, man, do I embody that idea of self-denial? I struggle, man. Mm, seriously. Yeah. I, and I think like, and this, this maybe if I can shift the topic here just a little bit, I think many people, including me in this wrestle, well, then how am I bold? How do I get boldness? I, Cause I think it leads to that. Right. So mm -hmm. how do I do that? Like how, because if my natural predisposition is not to want the, to to love sacrificially like that, well, well, how do I even get that? And I, and I'll just kick this out because it's it's a thought that I had as I was preaching not this last weekend but the weekend before, was that that idea of the development of boldness means I need to develop hope, right? I don't have to develop boldness. I need to develop hope. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to develop boldness. I need to embrace, but not only my weakness, but I think like what you're getting at in the resurrection, the power and greatness of God, right? I I. I have to see, the more I think I see him as great, the more I see myself as desperately needy. Mm -hmm. And and because he's great, I can operate out of that neediness because I believe he's great. But I think that other side of it is, it's like truly like learning from the person of Jesus to love. Yeah. Right. Like, what does that look like to love? So, I, I mean, I'd love to kick that at you guys real quick. I mean, that was my thought is that I don't have to try to do, be bold. I need to fuel the, the pump over here. And from that becomes like authentic boldness. So I don't thoughts from you guys, like how do you guys do that? You can even disagree with me if you want to be wrong, but. Gosh, I think one of the things that's when you, when you say that one of the things that is helpful to me is holding the idea of like worship and imitation closely together. That's really good. Because it's that sense of first, when I, when I look at Jesus, if I just see him as the standard I'm meant to achieve, that can be crushing. That can be that sense of, I feel like I never measure up, you know, like I think Tim Keller says something like that in one of his books, if Jesus is just an example, will crush you. you. You can never measure up to who he is. So first you just see him as worthy of praise because of what he's done. The reason why every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord is because he has won the victory. So I think it's the, that, that point of just start with appreciating, marveling, praising Jesus for what he's accomplished. Like he is the victor. And then let your imitation, your, your, at least that starting desire, I want to be like Jesus. To not be like me saying, man, I want to play basketball like Michael Jordan. That, that would have never happened, right? But instead that sense of, okay, I want to praise Jesus for who he is. And now Jesus, would you lead me? Would you teach me? Would you help me to catch a glimpse of the goodness of this, because I think sometimes that's where I wrestle is, do I, do I, am I even able to conceive that this is a good way to go, that this is actually what will truly bring life and flourishing in the end and even along the way right now. So I guess I just, I mean, the first thing I would just say on all those aspects, 
If I want to know what hope is, gosh, I want to look to Jesus as the one who shows me what it looks like for the joy set before him to endure the cross and praise him for it and then say, okay, Jesus, I praise you. Teach me how to be like you. Show me how to be like you. Mm -hmm. In love, Jesus is the one who perfectly, sacrificially loved me. Praise him for it. Thank him for it. Like embrace the fact that I am loved by Jesus so tenaciously and now teach me how to love other people. How to, how to take that sacrificial state in weakness. Wow, Jesus, yeah, you were like a lamb before the shearers that you didn't open your mouth. You could have. You could. You told your disciples, I could call down 10 legions of angels right now. But instead, you willingly put yourself in that position. Thank you, Jesus. I want to praise you for it. And now would you teach me? Would you expand my mind to even see goodness in that? You know. And I would even say when we fail, yeah. we're going to fail, right? Like, yep. It's almost like we've just done, you, you laid out this beautiful ideal. Now we actually have to go live it. Yeah. And bottom line is, it's not if we fail, right? It's when we fail, believing the truths of the gospel mm -hmm. to bring us back into, again, right. regaining that beautiful perspective of Jesus, diving in with him. Mm -hmm. so, so in that, like this is the struggle for me in that, in light of the passage, I, I, I resonate with Paul of wanting to know if the work he's been doing is in vain. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you guys get this way. I, I think through like, like what the heck am I doing, man? Yeah. Am I just spinning my wheels Seriously, here? Yeah. Because I, it's like either I fail, like I know this ideal of what Jesus has called me to and I fail, then it's kind of like rinse, cycle, repeat. You know, it's mm -hmm. this journey of failure. And I just, just feel I'm on the wheel of like vanity and like, is what mm -hmm. am I doing? Or I look at other people and I go, well, they know what they're supposed to do and they don't do it. And it's rinse, cycle, repeat for them. And I'm like, what are we doing? Do we even <laughs> believe this stuff? And and so I, I get into that, that unhealthy thought pattern of going, is this all in vain? Yeah. And, and I feel like I understand where Paul's oh, writing yeah. from there. And what I don't do well, and I'm, I think I'm learning to do it a little bit better, um, is exactly what's modeled here in 1 Thessalonians 3 of going, Oh, it's the report of others and the celebration of those little testimonies of God's faithfulness in their yes. lives and going, man, what does it look like to celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in another? Mm, when I yes. see, when I see the Holy Spirit empower you to respond rightly, do I celebrate that? Right. Because then it's not in vain. I go, mm -hmm. oh yeah, Jesus is winning there. Or, hey, you know, it's like, and I... And just the remembering, the way we deal with the vanity is by actually sharing stories of God's victories, mm -hmm. the small ones, yes. right? And it's the celebration of God's victories and the Holy Spirit empowering people to respond in cool ways. And when we hear those stories and we catch those testimonies, like what happened on this last Sunday with with uh, Thomas and Laura Shearer, right? You go, when we catch those little stories of God's faithfulness, I'm reminded, oh yeah, it's not in vain. God, God's, very, God's working. It's very acts. Mm -hmm. 100%. Right? From the boldness of one stirred the boldness of others. No, 100%. Right? I mean, it's a very... But I just realized I don't, I don't share the stories of the Holy Spirit taking ground in my own heart with others very well. And I don't celebrate it in the lives of others very well either. Mm -hmm. And yet I look at what's happening in 1 Thessalonians 3 and I go, that's really the first section of chapter three. That's what happens with Paul, Timothy, and the church in Thessalonica. Yeah. It's really good. So good. All right. Well, we better draw it to a close. Um, 
I look forward to where we're going to be going in the next next week as we look at uh, just the idea of holiness, especially around uh, just sexual brokenness, mm-hmm. but also sexual purity. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to kind of get where we're going, read First Thessalonians 3, 1 through 13, or 11 through 13. It's already going to be there. So God bless y'all. Thanks for joining us in what we were doing with uh, Beyond Sunday, and God bless y'all.